Good morning, uh, everybody. Hey, good to see you. Great to have you with us. Thanks for joining us, making the choice to be here and share part of your Sunday with us. Those of you joining us online, wherever you might be, great to have you with us. Now, before we get uh, started, I want to let you know, I want you to know we had just a great, great time Thursday night at the uh, new uh, Pewaukee location. Uh, we broke it in and uh, we had a gathering. Yeah, it's awesome. Here's a picture of the lobby. Uh, over, over, over 200 people gathered together on a beautiful Thursday evening in July. Here's the uh, auditorium space, and uh, there was just so much energy. I'm telling you, God's, God's really working, and we're just really, really excited about uh, launching this new campus in October and becoming a multi-site church, uh, one church in two locations. So keep this new location in your, in your prayers as we wrap up construction. I mentioned last weekend that we do have a gap we have a gap of about $250,000 that we'd like to close over the next two weeks. This is really important for our church to rally and, and, and finish this phase of the construction project. And so I ask everyone to pray and, and then take action. If you've already made a commitment to the Unfinished Initiative, it's a great time to uh, catch up or accelerate uh, your giving. Uh, Mari and I, we prayed and we gave an accelerated gift to uh, help close the gap. If you're newer around here, maybe do not have a commitment to the Unfinished initiative. I'm going to challenge you to pray and then act. It's going to take all of us uh, to make this happen. And what a, great, what a great moment, great opportunity for us to live out this, this challenge of faith and just take a, a big step in the life of our church as we uh, move into this uh, new community of Pewaukee and beyond. So I'd like to just say a prayer and then we'll get going. Uh, God, thank you for a great, great night Thursday in Pewaukee. And thank you for uh, putting this incredible opportunity in front of us to reach out and to reach more people for you. Thank you for so many people that have already said yes to serving on the launch team for this new campus. God, would you just give us a strong launch in October so that we can fulfill uh, your, your mission for us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, today's week three. Welcome to week number three of uh, The Incredibles. Many of you, I'm sure, have seen one of The Incredibles movies. It's about this family of five, mom, dad, three kids, and they all have these superpowers. And they, they, they fight evil, and uh, that makes them superheroes. But this series is actually about a, a list of faith superheroes that we find. There's 18 of them listed in Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament. And what makes them incredible heroes is not just that they're filled with faith. They're, they're, they're flawed. Uh, they, they make mistakes like the rest of us. But uh, God used them, and God wants to use each one of us in incredible uh, ways. Here's our theme verse from chapter 12, verse 1 of Hebrews. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Now this word witnesses here, this isn't talking about your family or your friends watching you. It's actually, it's actually talking about these incredible faith heroes listed in the previous chapter that are in heaven sitting in the grandstands watching you and cheering for you as you run the race of your life. And so I want you to imagine that one of these incredible faith heroes named Jacob comes down from the grandstands and he runs a lap next to you. What do you think Jacob would say to you? Here's what I think Jacob would say. I think he would tell each one of us about prayer. I mean, uh, most people, whether they're religious or not, they pray at certain moments in their life at crucial times. Now, I would say this unifies all of us, we may not pray the same amount, we may not uh, pray the same way, but pretty much everybody, whether you believe in God or not, when, when you're in a crisis, when you're in a scary moment, a difficult moment, 
people will pray to God because they know they need some, some, some help. But prayer is one of the most undervalued resources in our lives and in our families and in our church. Prayer is this conduit that God uses to flow his power and his blessing into our, into our lives and uh, into our families. Prayer is the means of laying hold of the promises and the blessings of God. And so I think Jacob would teach us how to pray more effectively. And I think he would share a story with us that we read in Genesis chapter 32. So if you have a Bible with you or on your phone, go ahead and open it up or turn it on to Genesis chapter 32, verse 9. And if you like, you know, a, a strange story or a mystery story, I think you're going to enjoy this one. I've never given a message on this uh, story uh, before. Honestly, I've avoided it because I think it's one of the strangest and maybe most difficult stories in the Bible. But I came across an article. I read an article by a pastor named J.D. Greer. And I'm indebted to him uh, for help understanding this story and for his insights. Get this. In Genesis chapter 32, Jacob has a wrestling match all night long with a strange heavenly kind of man. The story is supposed to be, among other things, a picture for us of prayer. But before we get into it, let me give you some background so it'll make sense when we get to the wrestling match. Jacob had cheated his twin brother Esau out of their father's inheritance. Back in the ancient times, the oldest son received a double portion of inheritance of the father's wealth. And in this case, in this family, it meant he received the promises to his grandfather, Abraham, that their family would be the chosen family that God would work through them to bring uh, the Messiah and salvation into the world. Now, even though Esau and Jacob, they're twins, they are very different from each other. Uh, Esau is an outdoorsman. He's tough. He's macho. He likes to hunt. He likes to eat a lot of Red meat, he probably watched Sports Center and drove an F-150. Uh, we know that he had a lot of hair. His name actually means red and hairy. Here's a mental image that I have of, uh, of Esau. This guy likes NASCAR. And uh, he's got the number three, you know, shaved into the hair in his, in his uh, back. Jacob, on the other hand, is the opposite, okay? I mean, he's more of an indoors kind of guy. We know that he's got smooth skin. And we know that he likes to cook. Uh, he probably watched The Bachelor and had a Pinterest account. And so even though these two are twins, I mean, they're very, very different from each other. One day when they're teenagers, Esau comes home from a long day of hunting, and he's very, very hungry. And it just so happens Jacob just finished a pot of stew. And so Esau asked for some, and Jacob, being the younger brother, always looking for a way to get the upper hand with his brother, Jacob says, I'll trade you something for it. And Esau says, like what? And Jacob, knowing that, you know, you start high in negotiation, okay, he, he throws out, well, why don't you uh, give me your birthright? Now, to be honest, I don't think Jacob really thinks that he's going to get the birthright, but he knows in negotiations, you know, you want to start high, and then you can negotiate down, and he probably thinks I'll end up with something like a brand new pair of Air Jordans or an iPhone or something like that. But he throws out, why don't you give me, uh, trade me your birthright, and Esau thinking only about short-term gratification, not long-term consequences, says, well, what good is a birthright if I starve to death? And Esau says, yeah, give me your, I'll give you my birthright. Give me some soup. Many years pass, few years pass, and their dad, Isaac, is on his deathbed. 
and he doesn't know about the deal between the brothers, and he prefers Esau to Jacob, and he wants to formally bestow the blessing on Esau, and so he says to Esau, why don't you go out and hunt some venison and prepare it for me and, and feed me, and I will bestow the blessing on you. And so Esau leaves, and Jacob and his mother, who's in on this, they think, okay, here's our chance. And so they go to the freezer, and they pull out some venison, and they microwave it, and they dress up uh, Jacob to look like Esau, because Isaac's very old, he doesn't hear very well, he doesn't see very well, and so Jacob impersonates Esau. They actually put goat skin on his arms and behind his neck, and they take the goat skin, and they just rub it all over his body, so he smells like Esau, and somehow uh, Jacob tricks his father into giving him the blessing. And when Esau gets home and finds out that his dad has already bestowed the blessing on Jacob and there are no takebacks once the blessing has been bestowed, Esau is fighting mad. He says, I'm going to let my dad die in peace. I'll give the family a few days to mourn and then I'm going to kill my brother. And Jacob hears about that and he takes off and he leaves for 30 years. He never sees his family again for 30 years, but because he's pretty clever and crafty and cunning, he gets ahead. He gets wealthy. The meaning of his name, I think, really summarizes his life. The name Jacob means grasper, because at the birth of the twins, Esau comes out of the womb first, and this might be a little creepy, but Jacob's little hand comes out and grabs a hold of Esau's heel as if to say, hey, you're not going first. Come back here. I want to be first. And so Jacob means grasper. And it's secondarily, it can mean liar or deceiver, one who grabs, one who strives or, or deceives or, or manipulates. By the way, I'm not really sure why, why, why anybody would give this name uh, to a child back then. I mean, you know, he's, he's so cute. He's so adorable. What's his name? Liar, deceiver. But that's the name they chose, and, and that pretty well sums up his life. And by the way, if your name is Jacob, uh, don't get mad at me, all right? That's not what the name means uh, today. That's what it meant back then in ancient times. So Jacob deceived his brother and father, ran for his life. And then during this 30-year period when Jacob is gone, God begins to work in his life. And one day God appears to him and tells him to go back home. And God promises, I will go with you. Jacob obeys and he starts to go home. But as he gets close to home, a place that he hasn't been for 30 years, he begins to wonder, what is Esau going to do when he sees me? And uh, so he begins to wonder. And then word gets out that Esau has come out to meet him with 400 men. And this is not like a you know, welcoming party. These are not 400 professional huggers. These are armed men. This is not good. Jacob feels worried, and so he prays. And uh, here's his prayer in verse 9 of, of Genesis 32. He says, Oh God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, Lord, you who said to me, go back to your country and your relatives, and I will make you prosper. See what he does here? I want you to notice this. Jacob takes God's word, and he holds it up to him. And he says, he says God, this is what you told me to do. God, you, you said, go back home. And then he continues, I'm unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you've shown your servant. Save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau, 
for I'm afraid he will come and attack me. But you have said, I will surely make you prosper and will make your descendants like the sand of the sea, which, you, which cannot be counted. Again, you, you see what he's doing here? He takes God's word, God's promise, and he holds it up to God, and he says, God, you said it. I'm taking you at your word, and I'm, I'm holding it up in front of you. God, I'm counting on you to keep your word. Well, later that night in verse 24, this is where the story takes that strange turn and a surprising turn. It says, a man came, look at this, and wrestled with him, with Jacob, until the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he could not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and he wrenched it out of socket. You know how painful that would be? You know, your hip is your largest joint, your biggest socket in your body, and this, 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 this heavenly man touches Jacob's hip and it just pops out of, of socket. This, this, this heavenly man has some kind of power. Verse 26, then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go un, unless you bless me. And this is kind of impressive if you think about it. Jacob's older, you know, he's, he's, a, he's an older adult. And, uh, you know, he holds on to this angel even though his hip is out of socket. That's what Jacob does. He's called Grasper. What is your name, the man, the man asked. He replied, Jacob. Now, I think the angel knows his name, but he wants Jacob to admit his name. Verse 28, your name will no longer be Jacob, the man told him. From now on, you'll be called Israel, which means literally you have prevailed with God because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Uh, verse 29, please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. And Jacob said, because you just pulled my hip out of socket and you changed my birth name. And later on, if I tell this story, it might help if I can tell them your name. I made that up. That's not what he said. I'm just guessing. We don't know if the man ever gave his name to Jacob, but we do get this next phrase. This is really important. Verse 29, then he blessed Jacob there. All right, so who is this strange heavenly man? Uh, some people think he's an angel. Maybe he's an angel. Many theologians believe that this is God. This is a, they call it a theophany, a manifestation, an appearance of God. I think the strongest clue for that comes in the next verse, verse 30, where it says, Jacob named that place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God, not an angel. I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. And so then the next question becomes, if Jacob is wrestling with God, how does God not win the wrestling match? That's a good question. And uh, we'll come back to that. But, but first I want to finish this story. Jacob, he's got his new name, and he goes to meet Esau, and apparently God changes Esau's heart. Esau sees his brother, his heart melts, they run and they meet each other, and they just, they just stand there embracing and weeping for several hours. Jacob goes on to not only reconcile with his brother, but to father the Jewish nation, and one of his descendants will be Jesus Christ. So what do you think, what, what do you think God's trying to teach us through this story? Well, I want to share with you five lessons, five brief lessons from the story. And because the context of this wrestling match between Jacob and this man is prayer, I want to tie these five lessons to prayer. Because among other things, I think this story is really a picture for us about how to pray more effectively. Here's the first lesson. God releases blessings into our lives through prayer. The blessings of God that he's already promised come into our life 
through prayer. Uh, think about this phrase in verse 29 where it says, the man blessed him there. And this is after Jacob held on to him and said, I'm not going to let you go unless you bless me. If you go back to the beginning of the story, God promised at their birth, the twins' birth, that he would bless Jacob, but Jacob did not receive the blessing in its fullest sense until this moment in verse 29 when he takes hold of it in this prayer wrestling match with God. The promise of God really becomes his. Did you know that the Bible is a book of promises? Did you know that this book contains over 3,000 promises of God. And I know that, you know, some of those promises apply to specific and unique situations. But I also know that Paul said, every promise of God is yes in Jesus. In other words, in a Christ-centered way, every promise of God is mine in Jesus. Last weekend, I talked about reading the Bible, and we gave out reading plans, and Many of you took them. We still have more. Some of you want to pick up a Bible reading plan. Reading the scriptures is very important. But today, I want, to, I want to talk to you about the importance of praying the Bible, praying the scriptures, because this book is not some dead book written thousands of years ago. This book is alive, and it makes us come alive. This is our prayer book right here. And here's a question for you. Which of the blessings of God lay unclaimed in your life and in your family. Let me give you a few examples of how, of how you can pray the, the scriptures, how you can pray the promises and the teachings of the scripture. I love to pray this one right here about wisdom because I sometimes don't have the foggiest idea what to do as a parent or as a leader or as a teacher. Sometimes I face a problem I don't know how to solve. And so I'll take that promise, this one right here, and I'll just lift it up to God. And I'll say, God, you promised to give me wisdom. God, I'm asking you to keep your word. I'm counting on you to keep your word. Here's another one that uh, comes from scripture that I, that I lean on. Jesus said, I will build my, my church. Uh, sometimes I can feel worried or over, overwhelmed or stressed out about the church, about the growth or the mission of the church. And so this is a great one for me and, 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 you know, really for all of us as we step out in faith and launch this new campus in Pewaukee to take this promise from Scripture and just lift it up to God and say, Jesus, you promised to build your church and grow your church. Jesus, we're counting on you to expand this church into Pewaukee and beyond. Here's a scripture I came across this past week, and, and I prayed this scripture for all of you. It's a scripture about God's favor. I believe God's given his favor to River Glen Church. God has used this church in powerful ways, but sometimes I'm afraid, what if it ends? What if God uh, removes it? Is it possible to enjoy God's favor all our days? Absolutely. David did. David wrote this verse, and he says his favor lasts a, a lifetime. Sometimes it got painful for David, but God was always with him. And I prayed, God, let River Glen enjoy your favor all our days. That's how Jacob prayed. He just took God's word, God's promises, God's teachings, and he would just lift it up in front of him, him and say, God, you promised. God, you said. So what promises uh, in this book have been unclaimed in, 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 you, in your life uh, and in your family. I read an article this week, just kind of blew me away. Do you know this? Uh, 
that every year about $5.8 billion worth of gift cards go unclaimed. Yeah, I mean, the benefits are already paid for. They're already purchased. But those benefits are not enjoyed by anybody. You got a book right here with 3,000 gift cards in it, purchased for you by the blood of Jesus. Which of the gift cards that he has purchased for you have been left unclaimed? You can go get them, and you can have them bless uh, your life through believing prayer. Here's another lesson, I think, from this story. Sometimes the blessings of God are released through persistent prayer. I think if we're honest that there are some parts of this story about uh, God and Jacob wrestling that are a little troubling to us. I mean, God tackles Jacob and wrestles with him in the middle of the night. God initiated this wrestling match. This story, I think, shows a side of God that we don't often think about or talk about. One time Jesus said prayer is like an old poor widow who needed justice on something, but she just couldn't get the judge to pay attention to her because she didn't have enough money for a lawyer or a bribe. And so she goes to the judge's house and she just wears him out with her complaining. Every time the judge wants to go to bed, you know, she knocks on the door, judge, judge. And finally the judge gets worn out and gives her what she requested. And Jesus says, that's what prayer is like. But what does Jesus mean? Because God is clearly somebody who loves us and cares about justice. The cross proves that. Here's what I think Jesus is trying to tell us. Sometimes prayer can feel that way, like God seems distant or uncaring or resistant. You ever feel that way in prayer? Sometimes I do, and I think that's okay. I think that's normal at some point if you pray regularly. Here's what Martin Luther, the reformer who lived 500 some years ago, wrote about this. He said, like a child trying to push against the hand of a parent, the child's trying to get something from the parent. The parent gives only enough resistance to test the resolve of the child. And so God resists us in prayer to see our resolve in his goodness. I love the way he put that. And when we press through what seems like uh, in prayer, what seems like a resistant God, look at this, we, we see, Luther says, we see the rushing of God's goodness uh, that runs, like a river that runs, river of goodness that runs underneath it. In other words, you know, God being distant or uncaring or resistant, it's an illusion. You might feel like he doesn't care that your marriage is falling apart. You might feel like he doesn't care that you have needs that are unmet. You might feel like he doesn't care about a friend of yours who is in trouble, but the cross proves that he cares. The cross shows his compassion for us. The resurrection shows his power to save us. He can and will help you, but you, you have to press through and persist in prayer and you'll discover a river of God's goodness underneath. In some ways, I think prayer is like practicing. Prayer is like practicing a musical instrument or writing fiction or ice skating or playing basketball. It takes practice to develop and get better. It takes practice to reach your full potential. And prayer is no different. Some things God only gives through persistence. And to get the victory, you got to be willing to practice and persist and push through like Jacob that night or like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. So don't give up. Keep praying and practicing and persisting. And then number three, the blessings of God are not obtained by our manipulation. When the man asked Jacob, what's your name? 
the, the, the point is not that he didn't know Jacob's name. I mean, surely he knows his name. He wants Jacob to admit, my name is Jacob. I'm a liar. Years earlier, when his father Isaac asked him, what's your name? He said, Esau, and he lied to trick his father. Now he tells the truth. My name is Jacob. I'm a deceiver. And all my life, I've been lying and deceiving to get these blessings by my own manipulative means. But now I'm repenting. And so God gave him a new name, Israel, to indicate God giving him the blessing, not Jacob wrestling it from him. And the blessing that God gives Jacob, it goes way beyond anything Jacob Imagine, not just blessings for Jacob, blessings for the whole world. I mean, do you realize that we're here today and we're celebrating and we are enjoying the blessings that God gave through Jacob? But some of us, like Jacob, maybe have spent our life worrying, striving, grasping, maybe manipulating, lying, deceiving to get blessing, but you don't get the blessings that you want that way. You win the blessing by losing to God. And that's really, the, that's really what this story teaches us. For the rest of Jacob's life, he is gonna limp on that injured hip as a reminder that winning came from losing to God, submitting to God. James makes this point. He says, you desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. You don't win by grasping or manipulating, you win by submitting and praying and trusting the outcome to God. Here's another lesson. God is himself the primary blessing that we seek. I want you to notice something. At the end of this story, God doesn't say to uh, Jacob, okay, Jacob, you know, everything will be fine. Go and meet with your brother Esau. Don't worry about it. I'll take care of all of it. No, there is no guarantee given how that meeting will go with Isaac. In in fact, God has made Jacob limp. And so now he will not be able to run away from Esau. But what Jacob received in this wrestling encounter was the assurance of God's presence. He got the restoration of a relationship with God, not the resolution of a problem. And that restoration of relationship far surpassed any earthly blessing. Sometimes the greatest result of wrestling with God in prayer is, is, is not that he changes the situation. He changes your identity. You go from Jacob, one who manipulates, to Israel, one who trusts. Jacob thought that Esau was his biggest problem, but Jacob's biggest problem was Jacob. Jacob needed to change. Sometimes, instead of changing your situation, God changes your identity. Sometimes the result of prayer is not a resolving of the problem, but the restoration of a relationship with God. Sometimes God even withholds the blessing that you want to teach you that a relationship with God is better than anything that you could ask for. Let me put it this way. God may choose to not bless you with the job or the boyfriend or the physical healing that you desire, but God promises himself to you. And that relationship with God is a bigger blessing than anything that we can ask for. One more lesson. We know that God hears us because he became weak for us. You know, if, if you wrestle with somebody smaller than you, maybe you've got a little, 
little child at home, maybe a I don't know, little brother at home who likes to, to wrestle, you, you've got to hold yourself back, right? How much does God restrain himself in this wrestling match with Jacob? How much does God hold himself back? Jacob should have been crushed, which means God voluntarily held back. God voluntarily made himself weak. But centuries later, the full weight that Jacob deserved, it came down on Jesus on the cross. Tim Keller puts it this way, Jacob held on at the risk of his life to get the blessing for him. But Jesus held on at the cost of his life to get the blessing for us. So it may seem like God's not listening, but he is. The cross assures you that he is because if God cared enough to come down and wrestle with Jacob, and if God cared enough for you that he came down and he took on human flesh and he wrestled with with sin until it crushed the life out of him to be reconciled with you now and forever. Surely he cares enough to listen to your prayer. So never doubt God's love or give up on prayer. You ever feel like your prayers bounce off the ceiling? Sometimes people say that. Sometimes I feel that way. I feel like my prayers are just bouncing off the ceiling. Sometimes it feels like that ceiling is just double reinforced steel. You know what you should remember? The God that you're praying to is not way off somewhere. The God that you're praying to took on human flesh and he went to the cross so that he could live inside you and beside you. And so when that prayer bounces off the ceiling and it comes back down, guess who receives it? The God who lives in your heart, who was crushed for you and crucified for you. So you can pray with confidence. You can press through with prayer. So here's what I want to do to to bring this together, to to bring this home today. I wonder, is there some situation in your life right now where you need God's blessing? You need one of God's promises. You need God's help. I'm going to say a prayer, and then we're going to share communion together. It's an open communion for anyone who receives Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. And then the next few moments are a great opportunity for you to pray about this area of your life where you need God's blessing and God's help. Take a look at what Jesus promised here. Where two or three gather as my followers, I'm there among them. And what this means is Jesus is always with his followers. He promised to always be with us. But when we gather together like this, it just intensifies his presence among us. And so this is a great time in these next few moments to practice these prayer lessons, to really lay hold of of God's promises and, and blessings, to practice and persist in prayer and really submit to him and thank him for the gift of his presence, for restoring a relationship with him by making himself weak for us, by going to the cross. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for the gift of your presence No earthly blessing compares to the blessing of knowing you personally. God, thank you for holding back in that wrestling match with Jacob and teaching us how we can lay hold of your blessings and and promises through believing prayer. But God, most of all, thank you for holding back your power and allowing Jesus to die on the cross so that we can enjoy relationship with you now and forever. God, we want more of your blessings and promises and power to flow into our lives through Jesus. And it's in his name I pray, amen.